and welcome to Sports and Hip Hop with DJ Mad Max. We are live with the one and only, one of the illest MCs of all time, in my opinion. Keeping it real, still here in 2021, Sky Zoo. Sky oh, Zoo, man, I, what is going I on, appreciate, man? I appreciate that intro, man. How you doing? Doing pretty well. Congratulations on the new album, All the Brilliant Things. I know you've been working really hard to get that put together, and you released it this year. And, man, what a project. When you listen to this, you hear Brooklyn in it. And you hear New York yeah. in it. You implemented yeah. the jazz beats into it. It's 100% a true school hip hop album. Thank you, man. That that's real. You you hit the you hit the nail on the head, as they say. You know what I mean? That's yeah. definitely what the vibe of it is, and what I'm talking about, and and what the moral of it all is. That is a part of the fabric for sure. Gentrification. That's the main theme of the album. Even in the album cover, you're showing your son. You know, this is where another place used to be. And it relates right. back to, to me where I grew up because I, I grew up in a black community in Connecticut. And I noticed as soon as I started getting older, the white stores started to move in. They took out all the sneakers and the clothing stores and started moving in J. Cruz and all this stuff. It's crazy how time has progressed and you have these white people that infiltrate the black communities and move their stores in. It's unfortunate. Yeah, you know, what, it, what it's really about is um, we're cool with like, everyone coming in you know i think when people think gentrification they think oh you just don't want certain types of people to come in no not at all like we're totally cool with everybody coming in and enjoying the neighborhood it's all about unity and coming together but what it breaks down to is don't kick us out in order for you to live here and, and enjoy here enjoy it with us you know come on in enjoy it with us and um and and we can all be one and and, and enjoy whatever it was that brought you here. You know, you you sought this neighborhood out for a reason. Let's keep it there and let's enjoy it together. That's what it's all about. Brooklyn has changed in so many ways. Even when I visit there, it's insane. You were someone that grew up there. Can you believe how much has changed over there since being there when you were a kid? Yeah, it's, it's mind blowing, man. It's, it's definitely mind blowing. You don't think, um, when you're growing up, when you're a kid, you don't foresee these things happening. You don't understand it. You never think home is going to change. You think home is home and that's it. And then when it starts to change, you're like, wow, look at this, you know, and, and it's very, uh, it's mind blowing, man. And, and, and it, it takes you back a little bit and, you know, you have to really sit back and analyze the situation. And that's what I'm doing with the record is hoping that people hear it and it starts conversation and dialogue, even within themselves. You, you may not notice things happening around you. And it's like, okay, now I notice it. Someone put me on, someone made me aware of what I should be aware of. You think Queens is experiencing that or other boroughs in New York is experiencing gentrification on the level of Brooklyn? Not on the same level, no. Is it happening everywhere else? Yeah, absolutely. But not on the level of Brooklyn. Uh, see, gentrification, a large part of it is proximity, at least in New York. You know, it's how close can you get to Manhattan? That's how it started. So the first, the first area to get hit was Williamsburg because people were afraid to move to Brooklyn or they didn't want to because Brooklyn had such a bad rap back then. And they said, well, if I got to live in Brooklyn because I can't live in Manhattan because it's overcrowded, it's too many people, it's getting too expensive. If I got to live in Brooklyn, Williamsburg is only one stop on the train away from Manhattan. I can ride the train for two and a half minutes from Brooklyn to Manhattan and be okay with that. I could go to my house, stay there, not mess with anybody outside. I have to worry about all the Brooklyn activity and just walk to the L train and take it one stop into Manhattan, you know? So that's what started it. And it was there and it was Dumbo because you can get to Manhattan quickly and Dumbo as well on the F train. That's what started it. And then from there, Williamsburg got overcrowded. So they went to Bushwick. 
Then they pushed back. They went to Bed Stuy. Then they pushed back. Then went to Fort Greene. They went to Clinton Hill, and it just spread out. Now it's all over. And then the Barclay was was really the nail in the coffin because once the Barclay Center broke ground, it was okay. We've got to build stuff around this to support this. You can't have the Barclay Center in the middle of all this old school Brooklyn activity. You gotta have cafes, you gotta have restaurants, you gotta have bars, you gotta have wineries, you gotta have all these different things, condos and high rises to support the Barclay Center. And then that's when it all just went haywire. Do you think Jay-Z kind of played a part in all that happening because he had a big thing to do with the Barclay Center, especially with the Brooklyn Nets? Yeah, I mean, he definitely helped bring the Barclay Center in. I don't, I don't think his intention was to bring in gentrification and tear Brooklyn apart. Not at all. It was doing something that had never been done. A rapper from the projects being a part of a billion dollar franchise and a billion dollar stadium. Can't be mad at that. There was just a lot of ramifications that came with where they put it. But no, he, you know, I don't think it was his thought to say, yo, we're going to tear up Brooklyn and, you know, do this and this and this and kick people out of their homes. Not at all. Not at all. He's a guy from there. It was how how am I doing something that's next level, being a part of an NBA franchise, being a part of a, the opening of a stadium, of an arena, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Even though, even though we hate the Nets because we're Knicks fans, I couldn't believe, oh, yeah. I couldn't even believe all these Knicks fans on Twitter, oh, go Nets, I have no hatred. That, you're not a true Knicks fan. If you're, nah. not, if you're going for the Nets, you're not a true Knicks fan because we hate them. Yeah, 100%. We, um... Yeah, that, it, you won't find me in that circle. No. <laughs> you know I mean? um, You know, I, I, I jokingly say, you know, they're the gentrified Nets. They literally are what gentrification is. They came from another state and now they rep Brooklyn and they act like they're from Brooklyn and it's Brooklyn, 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 but you're not from Brooklyn. You don't really represent what Brooklyn is. You know what I mean? You're from another state. So, yeah, they literally embody what gentrification is. Yeah, I agree 100% on that. And I couldn't believe all the fans in the building at these playoff series, especially against the Bucks. I think a lot of those Net fans are just tourists and bandwagons. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, 100%. They're people who just moved to Brooklyn. They've been there for a year from any other city you want to point out in the country. And now they feel obligated to rep. You know, they have no allegiance to the Knicks. So they're obligated to rep. And other things that were in topics with gentrification in Brooklyn, when you heard the news that they wanted to get rid of the painting of the Biggie mural. Right. Yeah, it's just, it's wild, man. It's wild. You have to leave culture and let culture be. You got to let it be, you know, and that's it. Got to let it be. Do you think rap is gentrified? Because the, the sound has changed 100%. <clears throat> I have a conspiracy theory where I do think that there are there have been white people that have infiltrated the music business into the hip hop scene and have dumbed it down. They want mm -hmm. the music sounding stupid pretty much, in which it does. It's all right. partying, it's the mumble rap, it's this, it's that. Do you feel as though that's why artists like you don't get the shine and praise that they deserve? Like you you have your underground following, you have your following, right. but how come yeah. we don't hear Sky Zoo on New York hip hop radio stations and all these other stations around the world, which you should be hearing because it is the true school hip hop sound for New York. Right. No, I, I totally get what you mean. And that's a great point that you made, you know, as far as the infiltration and things like that. You know, I don't like to try to make it too much about one thing, because for the record, man, there have been a lot of people that are not of color, a lot of white people who have contributed wonderful things to hip hop, you know, whether it's Eminem or Rick Rubin, you know, like there's so MC many search. Some, 
search, of course, you know, people behind the scenes, even if they're not an artist, like I named artists and producers just now, but even if they're not an artist or producer, execs that have had a huge helping hand in this thing going where we wanted it to go. But at the same time, there are twice as many that are running hip hop a different way, you know, and, and attempting to run hip hop a different way. And, you know, we just got to be privy of that and be careful of that. And we got to continue to have some type of control. It's not about letting, it's not about not letting other people in who don't look like us. It's about us continuing to maintain some sort of balance and control in this thing so that when other people are coming in to contribute, they understand what we want and what we need and what's important and what we're doing because this is something we created so that when they contribute, it goes hand in hand with what we're doing and not tearing it apart and turning it into something else. That's all it really comes down to, you know? And I think what I brought up before relates to the song on your album. I was supposed to be a trap rapper. Am I right? Am I hitting that on the nail? A little bit. Yep, yeah. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> because that's how it is. Like in the industry, I feel as though all these artists out here are coerced and the sound in like an artist from the South, a trap rapper, and it's not right. right. That's not our sound. It's just right. not. Do you have a problem with how the trap rappers sound? Because, I mean, they said that is the Florida sound, but then I think of, what about Outkast? They had their own style, and it wasn't mumble rap. Right. To me, trap rap, I feel like trap rap is from Atlanta, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and being somebody who lives in Atlanta now, who's lived here for a few years now, I feel like trap rap is Atlanta, you know, and of course it hit other cities, Florida and different places in the South, Texas and all that. But it just feels like trap rap is the product of Atlanta. And that's great because that's their sound, you know, like yeah. that's their sound, man. And be proud of what you create and be proud of your sound. But when you're from other places trying to pretend to do this and pretend to be that just to get a paycheck and just to get on, that's when it becomes a problem because, you know, when New York was running the scene, whether it was radio and TV and, the New York sound was running everything. People from the South weren't trying to sound like us. Outkast wasn't making records to sound like Gangstar. You know what I mean? They just appreciated Gangstar. They appreciated Pete Rock and CL. They appreciated, uh, you know, the locks. But they weren't trying to sound like them. They sounded like where they was from. And they knew over time it would come back to them and they would help bring it back. Whereas in New York, a lot of us, especially this new young generation, it's just about getting to the bag. You know, and I'm all about the bag because we need as many as possible, but it's about getting to the bag. So they say, oh, whatever's winning, whatever's working. Oh, this is what heads is on. We're going to do that. Oh, that's what heads is on. We're going to do this. OK, cool. You know, and that's where the issue comes in, because you don't see other cities and places doing that. Chicago is not running around trying to sound like, you know, anyone else but Chicago. L.A. is not running around trying to sound like anyone but L.A., you know, but for whatever reason, New York sounds like. And not all of New York, obviously you got me and other artists, but the majority of what is pumped out from New York on the radio and TV and mainstream sounds like whatever's hot right now because it's just about getting to the bag. And if this is what works, then let's do it. I usually don't say, give out these awards, but I'm putting yours up for album of the year. I usually give it to only the true school hip hop heads out here because I said the Diamond yeah. D when he was on my show a few weeks ago, his project with Talib Kweli got them. That's up there. Lloyd Banks' his new album's up there. That's right. that's the hip hop that we need played and need to be heard. Forget the, right. the Brooklyn drill rap all the time. I mean, I even, even that's yeah. not, even that's kind of, if you think about it, gentrification, that's not the, our real sound. That was taken right. from, Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel you 100%, man. Um, and I appreciate the sentiments on the album. You know, it, it's an album that I'm extremely proud of. And the response has been so crazy. There's so many people who feel like you, who were like, yo, this is the best album of the year. 
bottom line, I don't care what else dropped. This, this is the album of the year. And, you know, that's amazing, man, because, you know, when I, when I make records, I just set out to make the best records possible. And whatever comes with it, comes with it. Album of the year, this, 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 whatever. My goal is to just make the best record possible and then let the chips fall. My favorite song off the album is Bodega Flowers. I think that's an amazing song. The beat, the just your cadence and flow on there is, it's impeccable. It's insane. Do you feel as though that you've gotten your flowers throughout your career? Do you feel as though that you have received your flowers? At times, yeah, for sure. You know, there's so many people, like I said, that feel like you. There's so many people from fans to, excuse me, people in the media to, you know, um, my peers, other artists and producers, artists that I looked up to growing up and now they're my peers that look at me and go, yo, you're, you're one of the dopest, you're one of the best, you're one of the greats, you're, you know, all that stuff. And um, that's getting your flowers, you know? Do I feel like I'm underrated at the same time? Absolutely. 100%. But I, but I do get the love. I do get love. I don't want to take that away from anyone who's ever shown me love because people could say, wait a minute, I show you mad love, man. You, you don't notice me showing you love, you know what I mean? And those people need to be recognized and appreciated. And that love needs to be, you know, shown with a spotlight on it. So I appreciate all that, you know, 100%. I, 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 get, I get my flowers at times. I'll say at times. Yeah, that's important. You got to give your flowers to the artists that are really grinding out here and working you know, there's a ton of you guys out here that just deserve the airplay. And you do, I mean, the whole Griselda movement is dope. I think Dave East is doing his thing in New York, mm-hmm. but you know, unfortunately we're in the money market now and you know, just certain things aren't going, but you've, you've been working for a while and it's time for you to really cherish the moments here. When I listen to this album, of course you think of a Spike Lee joint, but another movie that wasn't even associated with Spike Lee when I hear this this album as well as some of the work on your discography because you love so much jazz music is the movie Sugar Hill, Wesley Snipes. Mm, because mm, if you listen yeah. to that, you it had that jazz element to it in the movie. Tons of jazz. The, mm. the score was like a jazz soundtrack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what that reminds me of. And it was a straight movie. It was very cinematic. Thank you, man. You, you, you truly got it because everything you're pointing out is spot on. Mm-hmm. You grew up on jazz, you know, Miles yeah. Davis. Mm-hmm. Johnny John Coltrane, Coltrane Horace Silva, Lee Morgan, Nina Simone, Lena Horne, you know, Ahmad Jamal, Art Blakey, the list goes on and on. You know, those are guys who I got it later. When I was a little kid, I didn't get it. I didn't care to get it. I just wanted to hear Wu. I wanted to hear <laughs> Wu-Tang and, you know, and, and Mob Deep and, you know, Biggie and Nas and Jay and Outkast. Like, I didn't care to get it as a kid. But as I got older, I think I was in college when it really struck a chord and it hit me. And once I got hit with it, I never turned back. I was like, I'm on this road. And it was it's just been jazz ever since. I don't understand why the youth doesn't attract to this sound, because when I hear a boom bap and someone really rapping over, that's an art form. What you do is an art form. What these guys are doing out here, just getting in a bag, it's that microwave rap as we affiliated with. And- yeah, well, you know, jazz, jazz is a uh, jazz is slower. And it's, it's, it's classy and it's uh, dignified and, you know, it's laid back. So it's hard for the youth to get into that. So I understand it because as a kid, I wasn't into it. You know, my dad would play jazz and my words as a uh, as a 12 year old, 13 year old kid, I literally would say to him that this music is stupid. They don't even have words. Like That's what I used to say to him. This music is stupid. They don't even have words. And he looked at me and said, one day you're going to love this stupid music. I bet you you watch. And he was right, because I fell in love with it head over heels. Like if I met Nia Long or something, you know what I mean? I fell in love head over heels. Like, yo, what is this? Like, and 
and I've just been hooked ever since ever since my college years. So I would say, so I guess I'd say like 20 years almost. Wow, yeah. You know what I mean? Like I've just been madly in love with jazz. Can't forget not only what you did, but what Pete Rock did with jazz and also Easy Mo B working with Miles Davis back in the day. 100%, 100%. Mo B was the last one to work with Miles. Got the last album with him before he passed uh, and gave him a hip hop sound. Mm -hmm. You know, Miles was very big on what the sound was whatever was moving at the moment, how can I do that while still being me? And how can I blend the two? So when it became about, you know, rock, you heard Bitches Brew. When it became about funk, you heard On the Corner, you know, like all those different things. And when it became about hip hop, you're talking about 1990, 1991, I think when Dubop dropped, it became Dubop, which, which was his, uh, his final album. And he went and got with a hip hop producer, he got with Mo B. And Moby from the neighborhood, from Lafayette Garden Projects, shout to Moby. Um, he knocked it out the park, you know. Mm. Do you think hip hop is the genre of music that can work with any genre of music? Because we've yes, seen it work 100%. with jazz, R and B, and unfortunately country. I mean, we've seen that happen. But rock walk this way, one hundred percent. It is the one thing that makes sense with everything, and I think it's because of the drums and the storytelling and the fact that. You know, hip hop isn't about singing. It's not about large, grandiose vocals. So you can fit in all these different worlds, right? You got this huge voice. It's hard to do that with pop. It's hard to do that with, you know, different things like that, you know, but the hip hop, it literally can walk in every world. And that's why it runs the world right now. That's why it's been running the world for the past 20 something, 25 years, maybe. It runs the world because it can walk in every realm of life as far as music and culture and sound. Absolutely. Can you believe that? I mean, we can believe it, but that it took up to this point in time for hip hop to reach the number one genre. Because when you look at the 90s, that was that's when it should have been the number one genre because right. that was at an all time high. You had Nas, Jay Z, EPM. We can go on and on with the hip hop artists from right. the golden age, but can you believe that now is when it finally became the number one genre because that was the golden era? Yeah, well, because it became more relatable as time went on. You know, as as amazing and prolific as Nas and Jay and all that early stuff was in the mid and late nineties, it's hard for a little ten year old kid to relate to that or even understand it or appreciate it. But the larger hip hop got, the more it spread its wings out on a pop level and a kid level and all these different things where other people can enjoy it and relate to it and, and accept it. The problem became when they started to push all that other stuff out the way. There was nothing wrong with hip hop growing and spreading its wings. And now you've got a hip hop song in a, you know, a McDonald's commercial. I mean, I love that. I did music for Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah. You know, I've done music for the NBA. I've done music for 2K. I've done music for ESPN and HBO. And you love that, especially on the business end because you love the checks, you know, but there has to be a way for all of it to coincide. And that's been the problem since corporate America kind of took over hip hop. That there has to be a way for all of it to coincide. We should still be able to hear, you know, Whoever's, you should hear Doja Cat on the radio and then the next song should be me or Joel Ortiz. And then the next song after that can go back to Drake. And then the next song after that can come back to, you know, I, I don't know, <laughs> Davies, Griselda, you know, like how you said earlier, you know, like that's the balance because you get that in other genres. In other genres, you get that balance. You'll hear Kenny G and you'll hear Miles Davis and you'll hear Dave Koz and you'll hear Horace Silva 
Then you'll hear Diane Reeves. These are all jazz musicians, you know, and they'll bounce back and forth between genres and eras and styles. Hip hop is one thing, whatever, whatever's going to get the paper. But there's a way for all of it to get the paper if it's marketed right and done right and pushed right for the people to support. And that's the problem. You've said in the past that you believe that the world is yours is the greatest hip hop beat in the world produced by Pete Rock. What did it mean for you to have the the person who created the legend who created the greatest hip hop beat in the world making out with you, Retropolitan? It was great. It was great. You know, Pete is a legend. He's top three of all time. Shout out to Pete. Amazing dude to work with. Super cool. We did the whole And it was great, you know, um, working with him, it was an honor. You go to the crib, you pick from a million beats because he has a million, you know what I mean? And you pick beats and then you break them down and break them down and break them down and then you wind up with 12, 13 joints and then you get to work. And that's the way it went down. And there were a couple beats he brought in in the middle of the sessions. Like we go to the studio today and he bring in a new beat he made last night. So now that beat knocked off a beat that I already had that I wanted to use on my like, well, this new beat. I can't patch this up. So I gotta I gotta who knows what the future holds. I don't know if a sequel will come someday. You never know. But if it doesn't, I got a Pete Rock album. I'm cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's legendary, but you have a lot of production credits from a legends in the game. L mine many, many legendary yeah. Producers. Albums with Ilman, Apollo Knife Wonder, Brown, Pete Rock, Knife, Knife Premier. You know, like I've been blessed to be able to, you know, yeah, we've done records. Like I've, I've been blessed to do a solo album and then do a collabo album with a huge producer or artist and then do a solo album and do a collab. Like I've been blessed to really work my career out a certain way that I'm very happy and proud to do. And the way I was able to figure out how to get what I want out of this thing while being me. With your father, I've heard the story about your father. He's your biggest fan now, but in the beginning, he was kind of, he wanted you to go to school route, but you had to find your way into becoming a rapper and proving to him, I'm nice with this. And this goes back plenty of times when you started getting calls from, I believe, Bad Boy. Is that who was calling you? Yeah, when I was in high school, um, you know, my dad, my dad was doing what a dad is supposed to do, mm -hmm. which is make sure your kid is straight and, and will be straight for the foreseeable future. So in his mind, it was, yo, you know, music is cool. I don't come from a musical family. I don't come from a family where this person sang and this person played the instrument. I'm the first person in my family to do anything musically. So it truly is a gift from God because it's not in my genes or my DNA, you know. Uh, but my dad was doing what a dad is supposed to do. So it was, yo, music is cool, but that's a pipe dream. That's like going to the NBA. You know, there's 450 players in the NBA. There's 10 billion kids on a basketball court around the world. That's like a 2% chance of making it. You know what I mean? So, like, he was doing what a dad does. And he was like, man, you need to focus on something real, something that's going to be there, something that's going to work out and is guaranteed to work out. It's not based on somebody else letting you in. It's based on you getting yourself in like being a doctor or being, you know, like going to school and things of that nature. He wanted me to be a, wanted me to be a dentist, um, you know, cause he felt like that was just something that you make your own rules and you get it and you get the money and you get the security and you're fine. And that just wasn't my calling. You know, I tried it. I went to college and I tried it and I was really? double majoring cause I was, 
Yep, I, I went to SUNY Farmingdale. I was double majoring because I was also an English major because I just loved writing and I've been a rapper and writer my whole life. And it just wasn't my calling, you know, but over time he understood. And when he saw me becoming successful and saw me doing my own thing, he was super proud and he's my biggest fan. He's, he's one of my moms, of course, you know, he's one of my biggest fans uh, and he gets it. He's like, yo, you had to make your own way. I wanted you to do this because I didn't want you to struggle. You figured out a way to do what you wanted to do and not struggle. So I applaud you. I can't be mad at that. I applaud you. You did it your way. How about the time when you were going to throw your demo tape on stage in a Madison Square Garden performance with, yeah. with, with Puff Daddy? <laughs> I was 14, man. I was 14. My mom took me for my birthday. I was turning 15. And I had been to a concert before that. It was like a kid's Easter jam. They used to do those all the time in Flatbush in Brooklyn, the Easter, you know, Easter concert for the kids and all that. But um, it was the first one that I could really remember just being all the way engulfed in. And it was like, it was like heaven on earth, man. And I remember I had my, my demo tape that I made in my man's room with the turntables and the mic, the, the wired mic and, um, <laughs> Yeah, just me rhyming over two two instrumentals. I think there was two biggie instrumentals, me just freestyling. And it said Sky Zoo demo tape. And it had my house number. It had my mother's number in the projects. And I had it in my pocket, in my coat pocket. And I reached for it. And I had it in my hand. And my mother looked at me. She said, if you throw that tape on that stage, I'm going to slap you so hard in here. You know what I mean? I was like 14. I was a kid. She was like, don't you dare throw no tape on no stage and get us kicked out. Because I was going to just chuck it. You know what I mean? We wasn't front row. So I was going to chuck it. Just, you know, bang. I was just going to chuck it at the stage. And my mother was like, don't you dare. And I really was going to do it. But then I chilled. Then eventually, actually, after the concert, you were in a, a local store and you saw someone that worked for Bad Boy. And that's when you were with a friend and you gave him the tape and you you spit a couple bars and I believe your father came around the corner and heard you rap and he was like, so this is yeah. what you're doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You did your research, man. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All that happened, man. I saw this dude with a, with a bad boy jacket on, man. And I just froze, you know, me and my friends is in, you know, in the corner store, we was in Queens. This is when my father had moved to Queens. So I was living in Queens and Brooklyn going back and forth. Mm -hmm. And we was in South Jamaica, Queens, man, South side. And um, me and my man's is in the corner store buying fucking snapples or quarter waters, whatever. I see this dude at the corner, I mean, uh, at the counter with a bad boy jacket and I just froze. And I was like, what? Because I knew to get one, you had to be on the team. And I was like, what? And I met him and he said his name was Sean Prez. He's still in the industry now. I think Sean works, um, I think Sean works with Hennessy now, but he was, his name was Sean Prez and we built. And I said, yo, I'm the nicest thing you never heard. And he was like, all right, let me hear you. And we went to his car and I went, I went crazy. I went crazy, 100 bars. And he took my number and he called my house the next day. You know what I mean? Like, yo, what's up? What's up, shorty? And we was building, you know? So it was cool. Even though it didn't go nowhere, it was cool to get that validation. At 15 years old, to get those little signs of validation was all, all I needed to just keep this thing running. Once you get that validation from someone that big in the industry and has been around the greats such as Biggie and all the people that have been on Bad Boy Records, then you know you're golden. And it's just when and where. Exactly. That's all it was. 
And how about the story? You know, we've heard that a million times. The Rough Riders, you were babysitting your younger brother. You couldn't go out that night. But eventually, you became friends with the locks, especially Jadakiss. Right. 100%. 100%. Same thing. You know what I mean? Like, everything happens for a reason, man. But I got invited up to Powerhouse to go crazy on a Saturday night. And I was 16. And again, I was in Queens, you know, because my pops, you know, we had moved to South Jamaica, Queens. So I was in Queens. And my parents went out and it was me and my little brother. And if I was 16, that means he was, uh, man, what was he, about nine? Yeah, so he was about nine. And I couldn't drag my nine-year-old brother on the train to Yonkers. Queens to Yonkers is like an hour and a half commute, you know, on local transit. You know what I mean? On, On public transportation. Train to another train to another train to the Metro North to the bus. It's a real drive. I mean, it's a real ride. So um, I couldn't do that. I knew I couldn't do that. When I got that call, yo, yo, they here right now. Come through. Everybody come in tonight. Come through. And you heard the stories of how everybody would just be at Powerhouse just rhyming their face off. And whoever was the last man standing would probably get a deal. And I was 16, man. And they wanted to throw me in the ring with grown wolves, 25, 30 years old. And I was ready but I couldn't do it. I was like, if I take my little nine-year-old brother to Yonkers on a Saturday night while my parents is on date night, I'm going to die when I get home. (laughs) Like, I'm going to die. Like, if I didn't have him, I would have been able to go because I could have just, yo, I'm going out. And I could have just went out at 16. Yo, I'm going out. All right, cool. We'll see you later. But having him, nah, I couldn't do that. (laughs) Weed smoke and Hennessy all in the studio when he's nine. Nah, I couldn't do it. But eventually you did make the connection. You were able to form a bond with the legendary artists of the locks. Cause that's your favorite group of all time. Money, power, respect. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yep. Those, those is, those is my superheroes, man. Every time I talk to them, I tell them, thank you. No matter how often we talk, I tell them, thank you. I spoke to Jada last week and I was like, yo, you know, we was talking about my album. And then I just was like, as always, bro, thank you. You know, you might, you know, you one of my superheroes. You know what, what did he mean? say so about the new album? Oh, he was like, yo, I'm definitely going to tap in. I'm seeing it everywhere. You know, it was, I think it was the day it dropped. I hit him. I just hit him with the link the day that it dropped. And he was like, yo, congratulations, bro. Like, it's always love. And, you know, I'm going to tap in right now. You know, good looks on sending me the link. I'm going to tap in. And I was just like, yo, man, you know, I got to tell you, bro, you, you're my superhero, man. Like, them guys raised me, man. I, If I saw Jada Kiss name on the tape, I saw the Locks name on the tape, the world stopped. Like, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Nothing matters for the next five minutes. I need to hear this, you know, like those, those is my guys. Those are your guys. Mellow Music Group. What's it like being under them now? Because that's in the, that's fully independent. Yeah, it's great. I love working with Mellow. Um, Apollo brought me into the situation about five years ago. I want to say yeah, about five years ago. Uh, it's great. You know what I mean? Dope company, dope label. They're a indie that moves like a major as far as the way they get busy, the looks that they push for you to get even the way they put their product together and the way they put it out, their marketing, they they think like a major. They're an indie that thinks like a major, which is great. It's kind of the best of both worlds. So shout to Mellow Music. This is our, I think, fourth project. Yeah, this is our fourth project together. So it's been all love. Raheem Devon's on there too. And he's a collaborator with you on the new album. Yeah, I, been I cool helped for put years. that together. I, I helped put that together. I, um, I, me and Apollo was on tour. And he was talking about doing an R&B album, like a collabo R&B album with somebody. And he was trying to think of who made sense. And, you know, 
I was like, yo, what would you think about working with Raheem? He was like, hell yeah, I'm a huge Raheem fan. I just didn't think I could ever get to him. And I was like, man, Raheem is my brother, man. Like, that's family, you know what I mean? So I, I hit Raheem right away. And Raheem was like, yo, yeah, introduce me. Like, I'm, I'm definitely interested. And that was it, you know? And they, they became a duo and put the album out. And the album is incredible. And it's been great. I have an interesting question for you, you know, being born in Brooklyn and eventually your father moving to Queens. So you spent time in Queens and there's a Brooklyn Queens connection with this artist with Nas named AZ. We know of him. He's a legend. Have you had the chance to work with him or even met AZ? No, I haven't worked with him or met him yet. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't think I've ever been around him. I think I made it, might've saw him once at the Brooklyn hip hop fest many years ago, but now I've, I've never, um, I've never got the chance to build with him, but Brooklyn legend, Brooklyn OG, you know, still, still move young, which I love. You know what I mean? Like you see AZ, he's always fly 24 seven. That's Brooklyn shit. That's mid nineties, Brooklyn shit, like fly coming out with the leather and the fresh cut and the whip and the jewels and the cologne. That's Brooklyn shit, man. You know what I mean? So he embodies that. And I love that about him. And the music of course is a one. So it's all good things. Or dies a classic pieces Absolutely. of a man's a classic. Word up. Yeah, he got he got a lot of he got a lot of joints in the chamber. Yeah, Asiatic. So do you. What's it mean when you see in the reviews and the music reviews, especially that the Salvation is a classic album? What's that mean for you? It means a ton because you know it's your debut. You know what I mean? And the greats the greats have classic debut albums. Nas, Jay, Big, you know, uh, DMX, Ghetto Boys, DMX, Snoop. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> the greats. You know, Black Star, and you know what I mean? Like the greats have classic debut albums, like Out the Gate, Big Pun, 50 Cent, you know what I mean? Big Pun, 50 Cent, you know? The greats have classic debuts. So to be looked at in that light is wonderful. Something that people may not know about you is that you are related to Charlemagne. You guys are cousins. Yeah, little random fact, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> my, my whole family is from South Carolina. I'm born and raised in Brooklyn, but my whole family's from South Carolina. So that's that's the connection to that. And that's family. So much love to him, of course. And, you know, he, he's doing his thing and killing it. You know, I don't really go to that well like that. People be like, yo, why don't you just call him? Nah. And that that's fam. Like, it's love. Anytime I see him or speak to him, it's nothing but love. I, I'm not that type, though. You know, I'm not that type to, yo, 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 what's up? Yo, I need this. I need that. That's just not me. I've never been that type of person. Yeah. And it's good that you're not. You know, you sh it shows that you can do things on your own and you don't rely on someone like him to get your work pushing. Right. Yeah. The work I, speaks I for itself. You know, yeah. Like I've been on the breakfast club. Actually, when I was on the breakfast club, I was on the breakfast club through Angela Yee, who I'm really cool with. I didn't even go to Charlemagne and that's my cousin. I went to Angela because we was cool. You know what I mean? And, and, yeah. and we was building Angela lives in the neighborhood and all that. And we was building and She was like, yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? And we hooked it up. Um, you know, and that was, that was a while. I was like 10 years ago, but yeah. So I didn't even go through Charlemagne. You know what I mean? Like that's you didn't just, even, that's you just didn't how even, I moved. You didn't even give the CD to Angela Yee, A Dream Deferred. You gave it to Envy and Charlemagne in the interview. I didn't even remember that. <laughs> well, you know why? Because she probably had it already. She yeah. probably had it already. That's why. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, um, yes, because she she babysat my dog. She used to babysit my dog for me when I would go on tour sometimes. Because we're really cool. Like, you know, like she lived in the neighborhood. And she would watch my dog when I would go out of town, just holding me down as a favor. So I gave it to her then. That's why she didn't get it. That's the only reason why she didn't get it. Because she already had it. Yeah. You know I mean? so. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you said that in the interview. You know, I gave it to you already. 
Yeah, but sure, just think yeah. about that. Ten years ago, we were still enjoying the hard copy CDs, and those have gone away. Now everything's digital. Everything's mobile. Yeah, strain, but you have the vinyls. You have the vinyls coming out of all the brilliant things. Yeah, vinyl is huge, man. Vinyl has made an amazing resurgence. I'm very happy about that. I hope it never goes away because vinyl is like the coolest shit in the world, man. Like you know, like it, it is a different sound, a different experience, and it's a whole different vibe. So you know, I love it. And um, I'm very happy that that resurgence is here. And yeah, the, the vinyl comes out, I think the end of July. It actually, the pre-orders already sold out. They sold out like the first week that it was announced. But I know there's another run being announced on the Mellow Music Group website. So it's available out there for sure. Tyrese, you're very close with. How about the time when he brought you to Mary J. Blige's house? <laughs> Man, your research is impeccable, man. Yeah, oh, thank you. yeah, your research is impeccable. <laughs> yep, that that's my bro. And yeah, we uh, hung out at Mary's, man. And that was a blast. Shout to Mary and L and all the people that was there. It was a blast. Um, yeah, Reese's family. You know, Reese is my fam. Not literal, not like Charlemagne, but Reese is my. That's my bro. You know, mm -hmm. that's family in that regard. And it's all love. You think you could make a collaboration track with Tyrese, or has there been talks? You talked with him before about doing something. Sure, we, yeah. we definitely could. We definitely could. He posted a picture on his page two weeks ago of me, him, and my other man, Chris Classic, kind of putting us as a group. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, <laughs> you know, that's that's what I mean when I say that's family, man. So you never know what the future holds. You also gotten into the the film business too, being in certain roles and even writing some roles and scripts. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's another avenue that I'm excited to get a part of. And, you know, I did the movie Patty Cakes a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. That was an amazing experience. And, you know, it paid off really well in a lot of different aspects. And I'm really proud to have been a part of it. And that just lit a fire as far as doing other other things in film and being a storyteller in all these different regards. And um, it, 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 I got the bug from that. I was like, yeah, this is something I think I can pursue and push forward on. And I had ideas already about film and television stuff, but being a part of that, made it a reality sometimes you just got to see it sometimes you got to be a part of it to get it and that was one of those moments spike lee reaching out to you on twitter was huge for yeah. spike lee is my hero what was it like mm -hmm. shooting the video with him amazing man amazing the hospitality he just opened out the you know the doors for opened up the doors for us and rolled out the red carpet uh shout out to my man alex g who uh directed the video man alex passed a couple years ago in this big this big fire that was a big deal all over national news, the Oakland fire. Yeah. Uh, it was this big thing all over the news about four or five years ago. And uh, Alex was a part of that, sadly. But he directed the video. And, um, man, yeah, that was a hell of a moment, man. That was a wild two weeks of trying to put this video together because we we shot the first scenes, you know, at, at this, uh, this crib, a friend of his, the crib or whatever, in Sunset Park in Brooklyn. And then two weeks later, we shot the stuff with Spike. So it really was like a full-on production because it took weeks to get it all done. And then he took weeks to edit it because it was so special to him. He knocked it out the box, man. He knocked it out. Him and uh, my man, Sill, who actually does a lot of work for Meek Mill and Dreamcatchers and all that now. Um, is that? Yeah, that's Meek thing, Dreamcatchers, right? Yeah. Oh, Dream Chasers. Um, Dream Chasers, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so, you know, they did the video and, a wonderful experience man and from that spike became fam you know from from that moment and us building and, and working together on that you know we became fam and i'm always at the office i'm always at the the events you know before covid the movie events and the office and and all the memorabilia and all that the block parties and you know it's all good 
Would there ever be a chance you think for you to produce a hip hop album for one of his movies? Because you, you, you can make a straight soundtrack just based off of all the brilliant things, because it's like I said, at the beginning of the interview, it's straight Brooklyn. Yeah, no, I, I, I would love to, you know, obviously that's never been something that's talked about or anything, but I mean, that would be a complete honor to do that for any, for any director in any film, but especially for him, that, that'd be a no brainer. <laughs> that would be a huge honor. 100%. You even mentioned on the album, we've heard the story before of you seeing Biggie Smalls in his video shoot for Juicy. Was there any other legendary video shoots that you've seen throughout your time growing up as a kid in Brooklyn? I don't think so. I'm trying to think now, but I don't think so. I think that was the only shoot that I saw or was on from far. Oh, no. Well, I wasn't a kid. I was an adult, but the Everybody Knows video with Nerd, I was there. I was on that. I don't remember if they put that out but I was definitely on set for that because um, I met Pharrell and I put up a picture last year of like a throwback Thursday of me and Pharrell um, that all the girls standing in the line for the bathroom. I was there. I, I was kind of floating around in the video, but I don't think they put that out or they reshot it or something, but I was there for that. That was cool, but not really, you know, not really as far as other videos, just my videos. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's it. <laughs> Now, when you saw Biggie, he was wearing the bad boy jersey, the yellow bad boy jersey. Was that what it was? No, that scene That scene was at night. It was a scene okay. where they was walking up the block in front of, uh, they was walking in front of the chicken spot. They was on the corner of Fulton and St. James in front of the beauty salon. It used to be a beauty salon. Uh, they was over there. Um, yeah, it's a scene. He got on a white t-shirt and it looks like the cops are arresting him or mm -hmm. something like that. And some dudes doing pull-ups on the light you know on the light pole or whatever that scene i remember vividly like oh snap because that was during the daytime and right outside you know and, and the, the neighborhood was kind of just all around watching and it was like yo like what is going on like it was the coolest thing we had ever seen that's something that you do in your videos as well when you go back and look about look at all your music videos on youtube is that you keep the essence of real new york music videos now it's hey let's go rent a car and put all the money bags in the video you still keep right. it urbany and true to the root of hip-hop yeah i shoot the majority of my videos in my neighborhood you know i've shot videos in other places but 90 percent of my videos are in my neighborhood <laughs> to the point where now i kind of can't shoot anymore in my neighborhood because i've used the neighborhood to death <laughs> yeah. so like i kind of can't shoot any more videos in my neighborhood because i've done it all already like i've shot on every corner every block in front of every store i kind of can't <laughs> yeah you were also featured on one of my favorite diamond d songs of all time where's the love off the dime piece okay yes yes absolutely shout to diamond d legend of course hip-hop legend and, and very good friend of mine and it's always dope working with him whether it was on that or the gotham joint or you know it's always dope mm-hmm You've also worked with EPMD. Yeah, that's a lot crazy, of legends, man. EPMD, who I love, you know, Eric and Parrish, of course. But I'm, I'm, man, I've worked with so many people. I've been blessed to work with so many people, man, that I grew up listening to, and people that I'm a fan of still to this day. You know, when it comes to this, I'm a fan first. You know, yeah. as much as I am an artist, you got to remain a fan first, or you'll lose your edge. You know, so I'm a fan first. What was the most surreal moment? for you, whether it be a collaboration or just something that you took part of in hip hop that was just so surreal for you as a fan and, and able to take part in it. I'd probably say more as a collaboration that you just couldn't believe okay. it. Like, wow, I did a song with this legend. I think the Spike stuff, mm -hmm. the Jada Kiss stuff, working with Jada, 
and Styles, of course. Me and Styles worked a couple times. Me and Jade only worked once, but me and Styles got a couple records. Uh, what else? As far as a collaborator, yeah, of course, Black Thought, Quali, you know, um, all those guys for sure. As far as collaborating, it probably would be that stuff. And connecting with Spike on that was pretty huge. You know, doing the video, getting, he brought it up. You know, I, I wasn't even thinking shooting a video for that would be an option. He said it. He was like, so we shooting the video, right? And I was like, uh, yeah, hell yeah. And that was it. That, then I got on the phone with Alex. Yo, listen, we about to shoot this video, bro. We, we, we got to figure this out. What we got to do? And he was just like, holy shit. All right, bet. I'm going to start writing the treatment. And it was just on. It was like a couple kids in the candy store. We was just so excited. What has he said about your raps behind the scenes? What did he say about it? Because he's probably someone that sticks true to the root of hip hop as well. Oh yeah, he's a, he's a super fan and supporter, man. You know, if he wasn't, he wouldn't have did the video. Yeah. He wouldn't have, you know, co-signed the record all over the internet. So, hundred percent, he's a super supporter and fan, and he knows what I'm doing. And you know, Spike is Brooklyn everything, so it's all love. And he's a Knicks fan, which is not a Net fan. Yeah, he's a Knicks. Yeah, it fan. is. That's yeah, it is. The first thing he said when we shot the video, because I had on the Knicks gear and all that, and I had on the Royal Blue Foams, you know, the penny joints. Mm -hmm. And the first thing he said when we showed up at the office to shoot the video, he was like, ah, my brother Scott got on the Nick Foams, you know what I mean? Because I had the Royal Blue Foams on, you know? So he's nicked out. It's the first thing he notices with everything in life. If it's some Nick shit, he, he's going to notice it a mile away, you know? <laughs> Yeah, the Knicks. Uh, before I let you go, you know, we got to have a quick Knicks conversation here. The Knicks, unfortunately, didn't get past the Atlanta Hawks. You have the Hawks still in it. Can't stand Trey Young. F Trey Young. I go with the crowds and with the Knicks fans, <laughs> and especially the 76er crowd was giving it to him, too. He's just an annoying player. He's the new Reggie Miller, in my opinion. <laughs> Who do you think the Knicks should pick up in this offseason? I think they need a good ball handler. I think they need a point guard. And I, th I think they really need a big center because Mitchell Robinson, to me, he's just not the guy – I think a great ball handling point guard who who could possibly be a gunner as well as a really right. solid center. We need a real shooter that can either be at the three and leave RJ at the two or at the two and push RJ up to the three because he's six, seven, 200, whatever. So he's built like a small forward. Um, and we need an elite point guard or a point guard with an elite IQ. You know, my first choice would be Lonzo based on realistic options out there because the free agent class is kind of weak. You know, the free agent class is really weak. So you got to keep that in mind. You got to keep age and timeline in mind and you got to keep skill and capability in mind. So my first choice would be Lonzo because the guys you want, like Dame and all them, you're not getting them. You're not getting Dame. No. You got years left on that contract. You're going to have to give up the farm for him. Everybody who you would want to play with him you'd have to give up just to make the money work. Like people just try to swap people out. You would have to give up Julius because you got to make the money work. So you can't just say, you'll take 30 picks. That doesn't equal the 35 million a year that he's getting. You got to make the money work. So Julius would have to go right there. You veto the trade because you want him to play with Julius, you know? Um, so I, I love Dame. Dame will be perfect, but that's not going to happen. Lonzo is a reality and I've always loved Lonzo. I think Lonzo is very underrated. Uh, he's a magnificent passer, great handles, great defense, and his jumper is getting better. Not sure what else you want or what else you need out of that. And when you got a roster around him, you got somebody like Julius. And the funny thing is him and Julius are really good friends. They've been friends since the Laker days. So they're really, really close. Right. That would actually make Julius really happy if they went and got Lonzo. Um, so, you know, Lonzo would be great. 
We need a sniper in that starting lineup. Every starting lineup has a sniper that's really doing something. You got one guy who he's a 40-plus percent shooter from three every night, you know? And the guys that we're throwing in the starting lineup at the, at the three spot, they're cool, but it's not nobody who you should be running out in your starting lineup to go out there and guarantee you to get four or five threes a night, hit four or five threes a night. You know, I'm like, that's what you need, you know, in this NBA. So we need a sniper in the starting lineup. We need a real point guard once and for all. Plus, Lonzo's like 23. So he's got experience, but he's super young. You can bank on him for another five, 10 years to be with the franchise if he does the right thing. Uh, And I agree with the center thing. I like the idea of Mitchell, but I don't like the development. You know, and I like Mitchell a lot, but I don't see the development where it needs to be. There's a lot of players that came in when he came in and they developed quicker. Some of it is health and that's not his fault. You know, you can't can't dictate health, but some of it also is just real development. You know, Um, he got the tools. He got the intangibles. He's just really raw. So, you know, you really need somebody on him to help with that. I'm a big fan of getting former NBA players to train current NBA players. I've always been of that. So when, when like Amari got with Elijah Wan, I thought that was wonderful, you know, stuff like that. And I always line up people with who they should get with. And I think Mitchell should get with somebody like David Robinson. I feel like that's his exact prototype, the tall, lanky, skinny, but not skinny, muscular, but still slender center who has great footwork and is fast and can hop up quickly. I think David Robinson would be the perfect person for him to work with, even more so than Elijah Wan or Shaq or somebody like that because of how he's built. Uh, who knows? You know, I, I'm pretty sure that those conversations aren't what's being had, you know what I mean? <laughs> but if I'm Mitchell Robinson, I put 100000 in a duffel bag and I go to San Antonio and I get with David Robinson for two weeks. You know, if I'm RJ, I put 100000 in the duffel bag and I get with Chris Mullen for two weeks because he's a left-handed sniper. Mm-hmm. RJ needs... He needs to gun it. He needs to be able to shoot. Yeah, I love RJ. Love the pick. Wanted it more than anything. But you can't be a starting two guard, and you can't be a starting shooting guard and can't shoot. So you can't. he's a lefty. So get him with a lefty shooter. You can't get him with James Harden because that's the enemy. That's That would be the perfect yeah, yeah. person to work with. But he's not going to do it because that's the yeah. enemy, and I respect that. Call Chris Mullen. Put 100000 in the duffel bag and call Chris Mullen. Yo, let me get with you for two weeks. Done deal. Yeah. You know, those are the types of things that should happen, you know? Yeah, uh, it should. I agree with you 100% on getting the former NBA players to train with the current ones. And, you know, I think the Nets look like a bunch of clowns because they went out and got all this all-star talent, still didn't do anything. And they're, I got to read articles and even Steve Kerr today seeing an Instagram clip of him saying that KD is a different breed from Michael Jordan. I mean, I guess we have short-term memory loss because KD is still yeah. a cupcake. KD's a cupcake. I'm sorry. He didn't, <laughs> he didn't oh, want man. to come to the Knicks. You know, he didn't want the spotlight. Right. You, you know, I don't agree with Kerr on that, but I know what he was trying to say. We've never seen a seven-foot guy who could be a point guard shooting guard, and that's what he was trying to say. Mm-hmm. He just didn't say it right. Because yeah. nobody's like Mike. Nobody. No. You know what I mean? Period. Kevin Durant will tell you he ain't like Mike. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? So <laughs> – what he was trying to say was we never seen nobody this unique. He is seven feet, clearly. Like he's a he's seven foot all day, but he played like a point guard, shooting guard. He is a sniper from everywhere on the court. If he wants two points, you're not gonna stop him. If he wants three points, you're not gonna stop him. If he wants four points, you're not gonna stop him. You know what I mean? Like point blank. On the defensive end, it's different because he's so skinny. 
you know, and he tries, he tries to play good defense, but he's so skinny. It's easy for him to get muscled out depending on who he's guarding. Like you can't, you can't have him guard Giannis. Like Giannis mm-hmm. is too strong. If Giannis does the right thing. Now, if Giannis wants to pretend to be KD and go out on the wing and, and shoot threes all day, then yeah, KD could stop him. But if Giannis muscles his way into the paint, like he normally does, KD can't stop that, you know? So there's those different things, but He's super unique, man. He's an incredible player, man. So I get what Steve Kerr was trying to say. He just ain't really say it right. Yeah, no. And I don't agree with Stephen A. Smith. He's coming to to the conclusion too fast here about being the greatest player to ever put on a New York jersey. He he didn't win anything this year. He does that a release? Oh, nah, I didn't. I didn't know he said that. No, that's crazy. Yeah, that's I insane. that does exactly. It's, it's crazy, and he's a Knicks fan. It's like I don't ever speak those words again. I don't want to see him at the Garden. And does that erase what Willis Reed did? Does that erase what Patrick Ewing right. did? And, and to bring up something about Patrick Ewing, which you may agree with me on, do you feel as though that Patrick Ewing is a disrespected center because everyone looks at the negative with Patrick Ewing? They remember when he missed the shot against Indiana that 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 finger that finger roll from that play in the playoffs in which mm-hmm. he missed that shot or when he gets dunked on by Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen everyone remembers the negatives of Patrick Ewing but if you look at the positives one of the greatest players of all time especially as a center I think he gets his love I think he you know when people talk about the centers of the 90s I think he does get his love um you know obviously winning the ring would change things but I think he gets his love um the more the merrier so I ain't gonna say he's fine and he gets too much love. Nah, the more the merrier, but he gets his just due. People love Pat, especially in New York. People love Pat. Uh, you hear Shaq saying his favorite player growing up was Pat. Yeah. He said that on the record 30 times. Like when I was a kid, I wanted to be Patrick Ewing, you know? So he get his love, you know, for sure. Yeah, Patrick Ewing, one of the greatest of all time. And I agree with you, get Lonzo Ball. They got to pull the trigger at some point and pull a trade, I think. But they can't give up these assets because you know there goes Emmanuel quickly. Like you said, there goes Julius Randle. They're going to have to give up something big, and it's like you can't do that. And Well, well that, that's why I don't think there's going to be a big, massive trade because yeah. you'd have to give up all the stuff that you want to put with the player that's coming in. You know, um, it'd have to be a, a mid-level trade that makes sense that, we don't see it as making that much sense. Like Alonzo, even though he's a restricted free agent, like that type of player, you know what I mean? Or, you know, I like DeMar DeRozan a lot, but RJ is DeMar DeRozan, so I wouldn't do that because they're the exact same player. They're shooting guards who can't shoot. Now, granted, DeMar DeRozan is better because he's more seasoned and he can do more and he can go get you 35 twice a week if you really, really need him to. DeMar DeRozan's great. RJ is the new DeMar DeRozan. So we don't really need to do that because we have it already. Um, they need a sniper, man. They need a real sniper in that starting lineup. Having Reggie Bullock off the bench is cool. Having Alec Burks off the bench is really dope. They need a real sniper in the starting lineup. And the Knicks aren't going to take four rookies this year. First of all, Tibbs don't like messing with rookies unless yeah, no. he's forced to. <laughs> Second of all, they got too many players on the team already that are under contract, so they can't even just let them go. So they're not taking four rookies. They are going to package that up and move up. They have to. They're going to pack. They're probably going to wind up with two picks, maybe one if they're lucky and they can package all that up to move into the top 10. But I don't know if that's going to happen, but they'll probably get a late lottery pick and then they'll keep maybe the Dallas pick or something because that was like 21. But they're going to package and move up. They're not. There's no, there's no way in the world they're taking four kids. They're not going to do it. No, no, they're not going to so do it. Get, get ready for a trade on draft night of – the Knicks trade all four picks for the number seven pick from Orlando or something like that, which is great. I would love that because you're getting a stud. You know what I mean? Like 
I would love that, you know, but if we stuck with where we are, I like Jared Butler a lot, even though he has a heart condition and that's starting to come out now. And now he has to sign a waiver. Like teams have, uh, I think positions have to sign waivers every time he plays now because the heart condition is real. And that really, really sucks. It's yeah. like the kid, um, I think his name was Austin out mm -hmm. of uh, out of Baylor as well. So that really, really sucks. I hope he's all right. I like Jared Butler a lot. I really like the kid, Chris Duarte, the Spanish kid. I think he's great. I think he would be wonderful as a two guard with RJ. 6'5 sniper who plays defense and he's 23. So even though he's older, he's a senior, he's ready. He's not a kid. I like him a lot. Um, my man is talking to my man. One of my mans is a trainer, an NBA trainer and a really good friend of mine. And he's talking about Kai Jones a lot. And he's like, yo, Kai Jones is the one, bro. If we get, he's a big Nick fan. And he's like, if we get Kai Jones, we set. So I'm, I'm going to take his word on it and do some research on Kai Jones. But there's pieces there. You know, obviously, that top 10 is what it's about. But there's pieces, man. Corey, Corey Kispert, point blank. If he's there, you grab him. But he ain't going to be there at 19. Yeah. You know, yeah. and if they move up and get him at 10 or something, you're set. Yeah. You got a better Steve Novak in the starting lineup. You're yeah. set. Like, that's the type of player I'm talking about. Somebody that's what I was just going to bring up. Because I said Gunner. that you keep saying Gunner. Remember, Novak did – oh, he was Steph Curry before Steph Curry with the three-pointers. I don't know about that, but he was. I think uh, so. He was a gunner. I he was a gunner. He was a gunner. Steph Steph is a bazooka, but you know, yeah. but he, he was a gunner though, man. He was um, he was a gunner for sure. You know what I mean? He came in and did his job. We need somebody in that starting lineup who is who puts fear in the other team's heart from three. Mm -hmm. And Felt that's good. that's the way. That's how Randall's gonna work. That's how RJ is gonna work because they're gonna be so worried about Kispert that they they gotta leave them alone. And then they just going to go in there and get 25, you know? So that that's what it's about, man. Mm -hmm. It felt good not seeing the Knicks in the draft lottery last night. I I, all, <laughs> I felt as though that they were in it because I said, oh, where are they picking? Because just, we're so used right. to getting into the draft lottery. But they no, had a great, a great season. So. It was a great change, a great change of pace for us. Yeah, thank God, because I'm tired of being looked at as the joke of the NBA. And we were finally yeah. moving forward here. Tibbs is doing his thing, even though I had a problem with him. When I had Frank Isola on my show, I said, that guy's going to ruin RJ's knees. I was wrong, as I always met when, <laughs> I'm, when I'm the first to admit when I'm wrong. And, yeah, Tibbs has been, do has been doing his thing in, in the Knicks and all the success to them in the upcoming years. But do you have a St. John's story? Because this is St. John's University, you know, being from Brooklyn and your father living in Queens. I don't, man. I, I really don't. I mean, I always rocked with them because it was New York, you know, but I don't really have a St. John's story like that. I mean, Felipe obviously was mm -hmm. great, you know, and he ran all that. And um, it was dope that he got to the league. You wanted to see him really flourish, and we all thought he would. But getting to the league is is a one in its own. So that's wonderful. Um, I think about the Felipe days and all that type of stuff. I'm not really the biggest college basketball follower. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not one of those who follows it day in and day out. I'm the guy who follows it once the Sweet 16 and and the the eight and all that happened. You know, I'm not the super college follower guy i'm the nba guy i follow every game in the nba yeah and I, I get you on that and go Knicks, Knicks tape i saw that you're finally getting back out on the road you're in la tomorrow la tomorrow tampa in a couple of days uh then i'm back in new york for something and then some other stuff out of town and you know so it's good to kind of get back to the world you know we're slowly we're still being safe yeah, I'm vaccinated, you know, and, and I still wear the mask as if I wasn't, you know, we're getting back to it, but it's good. Yeah. And thank God that we're getting back to real life 
slowly but surely and then you're able to yeah. perform and i'm sure you're looking forward to perform the new album because it's yep. it's a blessing for your fans i'll tell you that it's, I, i'm telling you Thank it's right you, up there for album of the year one of the best hip-hop albums i've heard in a while i mean if we're talking wow. cinematic I'm, I'm just gonna tell it like it is because as much as i do like the dave east and griselda i mean this is like an actual art body of work we're talking about here like art yeah. body Man, thank you, man. I, I appreciate that 100%. You know, I've been hearing that so much, but it never gets old. Every time I hear it, it's like the first time hearing it. And that's the way it should be, you know, and, and I appreciate that 100% from you and and all the people, man. And I appreciate you having me, you know, up here. You know what I'm saying? I appreciate us taking all this time. You know, I know we have to end of the line. I appreciate you taking this time with me and, uh, you know, us kicking it. Oh, of course, guys. You know, you're always welcome on the show. Anything that you need from me, anything else, anything else you love to tell the audience, you're free to do that here now. For sure, man. Shout out to everybody listening, everybody watching, tapping in, all the love, man, and all the love on the album. All the brilliant things is available right now. It's everywhere. And the way people are talking about it is, is what I foresaw based on the message I was given in the music and just the, the time and energy that went forward, that, that was put forth on the craft. So, I appreciate everybody, every note, everybody, you know, saluting on it. It means a ton, man. And, uh, you know, Instagram at SkyZoo, the writer, Twitter at SkyZoo. Uh, I'm around, you know, much love. Yeah, much love. I want to thank you, everyone that tuned in here today, especially SkyZoo for coming on the show for an interview. Make sure you go check out his new album, All the Brilliant Things. It's a hip-hop masterpiece. Go check it out, especially if you're in tune with my show, of course. As you know, we cover the true school hip-hop, and we do give you that other sound that's out there because you have everyone that, that loves all types of hip-hop in the audience. So thank you for tuning in, everyone, and enjoy the rest of your day. And SkyZoo, enjoy the rest of yours as well. Yeah, yeah.